But as we start unpacking these verses this morning, uh, I want to start out by reading the last three verses uh, that Tanusha had just read with us. So starting in verse 19, John says, There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now, if you hadn't heard the previous 18 verses that Tanusha just read for us before reading those three, and you just took out what the crowd's response to Jesus' discourse was, you might have a number of questions about what is going on here. You might say, what could elicit this type of reaction from a group of people? What could possibly cause a group of people to be this polarized over the words of a rabbi who used to be a carpenter in first century Israel? What could possibly have caused some to make what I would consider to be a pretty outrageous claim? Yeah, I'm not going to listen to this guy. He has a demon. Like, you, you just imagine yourself listening to a political leader, a teacher, someone you know, listening to the discourse. How unhinged would their speech or discourse have to be for your first gut reaction and conclusion to them being, yeah, that guy's possessed by a demon? I mean, it's, it, would, it would take quite a bit, I would think right? It would take quite a bit for us to say, hey, you know what? What you just said is so outlandish. The only possible explanation for what you just shared with us is that you're demon-possessed. There's no other explanation. So let's pause and think for a second, because this is at least part of the crowd's response to Jesus's discourse. And I want to go back and I want to read verse 11 to you because this is the type of thing that Jesus has said that elicited this type of response. Look at what Jesus says in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now just pause and think about that for a minute. You may agree or disagree with that statement, and we're going to unpack all of that here in just a minute. But doesn't it seem like an odd response? Doesn't it seem maybe a little over the top that their response to the types of things that Jesus is sharing here would cause some in the crowd to go so far as to say, this man is demon-possessed and insane? And I think understanding the, the illustration that Jesus is sharing in these 18 verses might help us better unpack why at least the crowd is confused. But I think we, there, there's something key to notice here, that Jesus inherently presses up against our own self-centeredness, our own selfishness, our own assumptions about the world and what we know about it. And even in a discourse as gentle as telling the people in the crowd that he's talking to, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for you. 
their response is, nah, dude, we hate you. You're, a de- you're demon-possessed and insane. This is, parents of young children know kind of this level of lunacy in response to things. It's like, hey, um, I want to play with the oven while it's on at 400 degrees. And as a loving parent, you say to your kid, whoa, 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 step back. Like, I'm a good dad. I don't want you to get burnt. And your, your kids turn to you with, the, with tears in their eyes. I hate you, dad. And you're like, whoa, we've really crossed the line of like saneness here. This is the same type of thing that Jesus dealt with as he walked the earth. As he's attempting to display his love and intention to save his sheep, their response to him is, yeah, Jesus, we think you're crazy. And so what I want to do is I want to lay a little bit of a a foundation before we dive into the verses because Jesus is using an illustration to his audience in our text this morning that most of us in this room are probably not going to be familiar with. How many uh, shepherds do I have in the room this morning? Okay, zero. That's kind of what I assumed. Okay, not a common profession in the 21st century in Florida um, because sheep wouldn't make it here because it's way too hot. Um, But anyway, okay. So let's set the foundation then for what Jesus is talking about so that we might understand some of the terminology and what he's going. So first of all, understand that in in Scripture, when God is regularly talking about his people or the human race in general, he he generally refers to them as sheep. And so whenever we see the word sheep used here in John chapter 10, this is language that's specifically used for Israel and God's people. And there's some intentionality behind that, not just because shepherding was one of the predominant uh, uh, occupations of first century Israelites, but because there's some truths about sheep that also go closely with the nation of Israel in regards to their relationship with God. If you know anything about sheep, they're pretty helpless creatures, and they're not exactly the, um, how do I put this, most intelligent creatures that God created. Um, anybody ever seen that video of the sheep that's stuck in a pit, and the shepherds go, and they pull him out, and he goes bounding off and run and jumps right back into the ravine again and gets stuck again? That is like fairly common um, moves that sheep make. Uh, I knew a guy back when I lived in Virginia, who was a shepherd. And one of the things he had to do on his property was he had to build anywhere that there was a, um, a bridge or a, play, a ravine or some body of water. Uh, he had to put up fence so the sheep couldn't go through it, but places so that he could get out. He had to build a special type of bridge that had bars so that the sheep couldn't cross it because otherwise every time they would go in there and get stuck and drown. That, this is just kind of what we're talking about. So what God is trying to reveal to us about ourselves is, hey, you guys aren't quite as smart as you think you are. When I think about the animal kingdom in relation to the humans that I created, you're kind of like sheep. Okay? And I know, like, hey, we, we've come a long way. Like, we're really, really smart. So that should tell us, then, the chasm between us and God. Right? As smart as the human race is, right, God still looks at us like, yeah, you guys are kind of like sheep. And without a shepherd and someone leading you, it's not going to go well with you. Now, the other thing we need to understand is a little bit about first century shepherding. 
It was a well-understood industry uh, with easy parallels during Jesus' time. And what we need to know about shepherds is our perception of them in the 21st century is much different than what they actually looked like in first century Israel. You know, because of things like art and our own experience, maybe growing up in the church and seeing shepherds now, we kind of have this this idea or understanding of shepherds of being like, hey, they wore white robes and they have a shepherd's crook and we sing Mary had a little lamb whenever we're around them. And if you were unfortunate enough to grow up in my generation, maybe you watched Lamb Chops play along and have all sorts of like things that you need to process through mentally and emotionally from having watched that puppet that scared the living daylights out of you as a kid, right? But we kind of have this idea of shepherds as kind of being this passive, just kind of chill, super, super peaceful, and super, super kind. But in first century, first century Israel and prior to that, shepherds were some of the toughest, strongest, hardest working people who defended, led, and provided for their flock. One of Israel's greatest kings, David, was previously a shepherd before he had become king, and he was the youngest man and his family. But one of the things we learn about him from the scriptures is that he had actually defended his flock successfully from bears and lions, supposedly with his bare hands. I don't know how that worked out, but supposedly, right, he fought off bears and lions. And so we need to understand that the context of what Jesus is going to be telling us about this first century shepherd is a lot different than the the 21st century expectations of a shepherd that we carry into our reading of the story. We're talking about someone that's tough, rugged, cares for his flock, provides for them, is going to lead them and protect them at all costs. Now, the last thing I want to point out before we officially dive into the text is John intentionally put this discourse in after the story of the healing of the blind man. Because what is going on here is that if you remember the previous two weeks when we were looking in John chapter 9, the blind man was healed by Jesus, and ultimately, because he told the truth of what had happened to him, he ends up being excommunicated by the religious leaders for sharing his story. He actually gets kicked out of the synagogue. He no longer is allowed to be around them as a people. Now, Contrast that with when you get to the end of John chapter 9, Jesus himself goes to the blind man and reveals himself to him as God, King, and Messiah. And so in this passage in John chapter 10, what John is trying to get us as the readers to see in this illustration that Jesus shows as the good shepherd is that when we think about Jesus, He unveils himself to the world that he is the good shepherd, not just because he is, but also to contrast himself to the other leaders the world has to offer. Specifically for Israel, the terrible religious leaders of their day. And so I've got four points for us to kind of work through this morning, okay? And they're all going to be centered around answering this question, what truly makes Jesus the good shepherd? We're going to see that Jesus is the good shepherd because he pastors his sheep. We're going to see that he's the good shepherd because he provides for his sheep. We're going to see that Jesus is the good shepherd because he protects his sheep. And lastly, we're going to see that Jesus loves and saves his sheep and lays down his life for them. All right? So 
John chapter 10, starting in verse 1, and just remember, okay, the context of where we're at in the timeline of John's gospel is that Jesus is contrasting himself with the other shepherds of Israel, specifically the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were bringing opposition towards him and leading the current kind of synagogue temple system in Israel. And Jesus is basically going to be saying, follow me, I am the good shepherd worth following, unlike the religious leaders who are around you. So what makes Jesus the good shepherd? Starting in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. All right, I want to just pause there and stop for a second. Okay, right, so Jesus starts off this discourse by saying, truly, truly, and we know that whenever Jesus says that, what he's basically saying is, listen up, I'm about to teach you something you don't know already, right? For my generation, right, somebody, if they were coming up and they were telling you a story or whatever else, and you're like, that didn't happen, they'd be like, for real. No, no, for real, man, like I promise, for real, for real, right? Gen Z, I think you guys use on God. Is that, okay, I'm getting some laugh. No, no, okay, some Gen Z does, and then some have rejected it, right? Okay. But like either way, right, this is Jesus saying like, hey, guys, listen up. What I'm about to tell you is definitely true, okay? And he goes on to use this illustration that his audience understands about shepherding. And one of the things he mentions in those first three verses is something called a sheepfold, okay? So a sheepfold was, for most of Israel, a community sheep pen where if you lived in a small little village or town, it was a place surrounded by fencing, usually like some sort of stone fencing or rock or something that would have protected the sheep. And then it had a gate and multiple flocks would be in this pen, kept safely overnight to be protected from wolves or thieves or robbers. And the community would kind of cooperatively work together and pay a gatekeeper to stand by the gate and protect the sheep and make sure they weren't stolen or eaten overnight. Jesus' point as he starts sharing this truth about the sheepfold is that true shepherds who own their flock, when morning comes, walk to the gate and go to get their sheep. And because they're the true owners of the sheep, the gatekeeper opens the door for them and lets them in. The shepherd, right, knows his flock and goes and gets them. Robbers and thieves enter another way and try to steal the flock. And so Jesus is basically, so far just in these first three verses, just introducing these two separate groups that are involved with the sheep. One group is the true shepherds. One group is the robbers and the thieves. And so, right, we get to verse three, the second half of it, and look what Jesus says. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus is is starting to try to compare himself to the religious leaders of his day. And he's saying, Hey, you guys just need to understand that you guys as the sheep, the flock of Israel, when 
a true leader, someone truly sent from God comes along, you will know his voice if you are truly of his flock. And that shepherd will call you out to follow him. And he's not just going to call you out, but he's going to call you out by name. Right? It shows a, a level of intimacy that the shepherd had with his sheep. And Jesus is saying, hey, the same intimacy that a, a shepherd might have for his sheep, where he names them, God has for you. That, that intimacy that you so desperately crave in your own life, God brings that intimacy because he loves you and cares for you. He created you and he calls you out by name. And then it says that the good shepherd leads them out. But that those that truly know and love God, when the stranger calls, they not only will not follow someone who's not their shepherd, but they will flee from him. It says in verse 6 that Jesus shared this illustration and that most in the crowd didn't get it because they don't quite understand who Jesus is trying to compare himself to and why why he's sharing this illustration yet. But here's what we know from reading the rest of the story, what Jesus is already trying to show us. Those that are truly Jesus' disciples will follow him and not others. Right? To, to kind of put it another way, if you are in here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, there are going to be things that vie for your time, attention, talent, and treasure. But at the end of the day, true followers of Jesus follow their king. Doesn't mean that there's not moments of of slipping up or falling or failing, that is a normal part of being a disciple of Jesus. But that if you truly are known and loved by God and a part of the flock of Jesus Christ, what is being said here is that ultimately, you are his, you belong to him, he knows you by name, and that your deepest desire is to follow your Lord, your God, and your King. Now, I think one of the kind of beautiful things that Jesus is sharing with the crowd here that they aren't fully understanding is the beauty of how Jesus pastors and cares for his flock. You know, there's three things that that Jesus shares here that I just want to point out to you and help you to see because I think sometimes as followers of Jesus in the 21st century, we get bogged down in maybe even good things like spiritual disciplines or things that we do, and we lose out on the intimacy and the, and the reality of how much God loves and cares for you. I mean, but think about the illustration that's being shared here with this, with this simple illustration of the sheepfold. Right? It says the shepherd calls to us, right? meaning that even in the chaos of life, or the storms that we face in our lives, Jesus is present calling out to you. That he's he's there no matter what. And in that calling, he's attempting to lead you to safety. You know, one of the things that I I was thinking about this past week of this idea of, of calling out, especially when you're lost or hurting or in a storm, is when I was a kid... Um, long before the invention of the internet, um, you know, I would spend time with my grandfather and he would take us and my other cousins to like stores and, and there would be shopping. 
And I don't know, I don't do this with my own kids. We just buy everything online. So my kids are never going to have this experience. But when you're a little kid and going shopping, let's just be frank, shopping stinks. It's boring. It's terrible. You you don't want to be doing that as a kid. You want to be playing. You want to be having fun. You want to be doing something else. And so as kids, you would create these games in department stores to pass the time so that you wouldn't get in trouble and be disciplined. And so we would, we would go out with my, my grandfather. We would inevitably play hide-and-seek in the clothing. So, like, the clothing would be on these racks that were circular, and you would go into the clothing, and you would hide in various ones and then try to find one another. And my grandfather, he, he's kind of cool with it. He's like, you guys do whatever. Just don't break anything. And multiple times, I remember specifically my youngest cousin, because she just had a penchant for getting lost and getting into trouble, she would be lost and we'd be like, we'd have no idea where she was. She'd be crying somewhere because she couldn't find anybody. She had gone and hid on the other side of the department store because she always wanted to win. And my grandfather had a specific call to us as his grandchildren to find him and keep him safe. And he would just whistle. He'd be like this. Now, he could whistle like 5,000 decibels louder than that in a Walmart, right? And he would just keep doing that to call us as kids back to him. And when you heard that, even if you were lost in the store, guess what would happen to you as a little kid? Oh, Papaw's around somewhere. Right? I, just gotta, I, gotta, I gotta hear where Papaw is and go to him. That's, that's where safety is. That's how, I'm, that's how I'm getting out of here. I don't know anybody in the store. I'm scared right now. Oh, but I hear Papaw's call. And then you would get to him and you'd come to him and you'd go alongside him and you'd leave the store. This is what... Jesus is sharing with us about calling out to us and what it looks like. That when we're lost and confused and in the storms of life, listen to the call of Jesus to walk forward in. Because that is where the safety is. And now, not only does Jesus call out to us in the midst of that, It says he calls the sheep by name. He knows you. He cares for you. The God of the universe knows you and calls you by name. He's intimately involved with you. And then it says that he pastors them or then he leads them out. And this is one of those differences between first century shepherding in 21st century shepherding that we need to point out. You know, had any of you raised your hand and said that you were experienced with shepherding in our current day and age, probably what you would have thought of is the idea of having a dog that kind of rounded up the sheep and kind of drove them along because that's how shepherding takes place today. But in first century, right, the shepherd actually walked and led the flock to where they were supposed to go so that they could eat, drink, and be protected that he would actually lead the pack and lead the way. And Jesus presents himself here as the one guiding and leading his people to safety and provision. And this illustration is in stark contrast to the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Think about that even in regards to John chapter 9. What was the blind man's crime? to be excommunicated from the entire religious community that he had grown up in? Telling the truth. All he simply said was, hey, 
I don't know who Jesus is, but that guy put mud on my face and now I can see. That's it. It's his only crime, right? The religious leaders in Jesus's day have a tendency to be harsh, self-serving, domineering, and dangerous. And Jesus says, yet I am gentle, I lead you, I know you intimately, and I'm safe. This is the same picture he paints of himself throughout John chapter 10. And that same Jesus is the one that we follow today. Pastoring us, caring for us, providing for us. Which leads us to the next part of Jesus' illustration. Because not only is he the good shepherd who pastors his flock, but he provides for them. Look at verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, there's that line again, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and I will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus is using a different illustration here, but it's still centered around this idea of the sheepfold, and he calls himself the door. And the door of the sheep pen was meant to be protection for the flock at night and the way out to food and pasture during the day. And the door was guarded for the safety of the sheep. So Jesus' illustration is basically kind of sharing two things with us. And the first one is this. Jesus is saying, by by the mere fact that he is the door to the sheepfold, he's saying, I am humanity's sole means of safety. And in a couple chapters, John's going to share one of the most uh, exclusive truths that Jesus makes throughout the entire gospel. It's one of the reasons why I flat out reject the universalism that pervades our day and age. But in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus is talking and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the reason why I reject universalism on that grounds is because Jesus does not leave that open to interpretation. He's either lying there by saying that, or he's saying that universalism is not an approach that we can take to get to God. And here in John chapter 10, the door was the only way out for the sheep. And it was the only means of protection for the sheep at night. And Jesus is saying, I am humanity's sole means of true safety. And let me just point this out, and I want you to ponder and think about this for for a moment, especially if you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus and someone drug you here or you just came to church because you grow up and that's what you're supposed to do. But I want you to pause and think about this for a moment. Humanity is always looking for safety. Always. Think, think, think into your own life. Think about our culture. Think about other world cultures. Think about what you know about world history. The common thread amongst all of them is that we are looking 
for safety and protection. And Jesus says here in these verses, all who came before him, their goal was to steal, kill, and destroy. It's like other leaders that have come before me, you cannot trust them. And think about this for a second, right? Just think about other examples of of, of leaders and things that human beings have turned to over the years for safety and protection. Let's look at Israel. Think about their own history. God had provided for them uh, leaders and prophets. And then you get to 1 Samuel, and what do they want? A king. Like, we need a king. We need to be like the other nations. We need a king. And Samuel tells them, hey, you guys have a king. It's, it's not going to go well for you. It's not going to go like you think it's going to go. And they're like, no, no, we need a king. We need a king. And so throughout Israel's history, what do they have? A few good kings. But what is most of our Old Testament about? Really, really bad kings who didn't protect Israel, who didn't lead them well, who led them away from God, who took advantage of them, who persecuted them, right? And one of the things that I love the most is in the midst of those bad kings, God sends a few voices in the midst of them to prophetically warn and tell them what's going on. And those kings, every time, try to shut them up. Like if you read about the good kings, I mean, the bad kings during the time of the Assyrian and the Babylonian invasion, the, the true prophets who are actually telling them what's going on and trying to lead God's people to safety are usually under house arrest. Because the kings are like, whoa, 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 we can't have you saying this. Like, you're telling the people that I'm bad. Well, you are. Israel's own history with kings who are supposed to know God and love him and lead God's people. Steal, kill, and destroy. Think about history outside of Israel. Low-hanging fruit, Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini. What did they promise their people? Protection, safety, a glorious revolution for their people group, and what did they deliver on? Destruction and war. And even today, what do leaders promise us? And what do they deliver? As this is not me getting on a soapbox, being political one way or another, uh, any of you that know me personally, um, I have one political stance. I don't trust any of them. That's it. Right? I don't fall into a, a, a particular party. I don't, I don't trust any of them. So I tend to not get bogged down by it all because I just don't trust. And the reason I don't trust is because Jesus says in John chapter 10, everyone else is out to steal, kill, and destroy. He is the door and the only answer to safety and security for humanity and safety, as he's talking about here, from much bigger issues than social security, national defense, housing, taxes. No, he's talking about safety from the true plague of our lives, which is sin and death. That Jesus is the only shepherd who provides a way to safety and security. So Jesus says, I am the door, and as the door, I am humanity's sole means to protection. But he's also communicating the second point, that he is humanity's sole means to provision. Because the door 
while providing protection in the pen, also provided the only exit to pasture for the sheep. And pasture for a flock is the place where the flock goes for food and sustenance that the sheep need and rest during the day in a safe pasture. Jesus provides security and provision. He provides security through the forgiveness of sins leading to salvation and provision through teaching, correcting, and giving purpose and joy to this life. And he says, contrast that with the religious leaders of our day, and you will see that they are not worth following. And so Jesus claims to be the good shepherd who pastors, who provides. And then in verses 11 through 13, he says that he is the good shepherd who protects. Look at what he says. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus compares himself to hired hands who would watch people sheep for them but would never give the attention and care and love towards the flock the way that the true shepherd and owner of the flock would. And Jesus is actually, for his audience, trying to take them back to something the prophet Ezekiel has said in Ezekiel chapter 34, right? And he's comparing and contrasting the religious leaders who are the hired hand in this illustration to the true shepherd who is him. So look at what he says about the hired hand. He says, the hired hand leaves and flees when danger arises for the flock. And this is exactly God's problem with the religious leaders in Ezekiel's day and time. Look at what he says, starting in verse 1 of Ezekiel 34. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought with force, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Now remember what term Jesus uses for himself regularly in the New Testament. He calls himself the son of man. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 9, that's the term he uses for himself with the blind man when he goes and visits him. And so here you have Jesus going back to Ezekiel 34, and God said to Ezekiel, when the son of man appears, he's going to prophesy against the terrible leaders of Israel during that time. And what he's going to say is that they are only out for themselves. They're not out for the good of Israel. They might say that they are, but they're not. However, the good shepherd, as Jesus says, lays down his life to save the flock. And look at what God promises about the good shepherd in the next part of Ezekiel 34. Starting in verse 10, thus says the Lord God, behold, 
I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. See the, the comparison and the contrasting going on here? The hired hand is self-motivated. He's not for the sheep. Flees and the sheep perish. But the good shepherd loves his sheep. They are his and he protects them. And here's something I want to point out to us from the, as like a practical application. It is common in our day and time to hear people that do not follow the Lord or maybe even those that claim to be professing followers of Jesus to be challenged with something in the word of God to be challenged against maybe a particular proclivity to sin or something they want to do and to say, well, hey, I might follow Jesus, but I don't think it's appropriate for us to look at God and to think that he has our best interest at heart. That, that is old and past, and we've evolved or moved on as a society. And what Jesus is saying here to us in John chapter 10 is any mindset like that might seem like it's for our good, but actually only fattens itself and kills and destroys, and that when trouble happens, there's fleeing. And that the true protection and love and security and safety only comes in the presence of Jesus and his word. Jesus is the good shepherd who protects his sheep. I mean, just pause and think about this for a minute, guys. For generation, cultures, people, Leaders have sought to devour Jesus' church. We should not be here this morning. Mankind has actively tried to do whatever it can to stop the advancement of the gospel. False doctrine, false leaders, sin, war. The list is endless of things that should have prevented a movement of fishermen and uneducated Palestinians from spreading the gospel worldwide. But the good shepherd protected and preserved his sheep. And he called them by name. He knows them. He protects them. 
He leads them out to pasture. And he is protecting us even now in this very moment. That Jesus, through the work and the help of the Holy Spirit, has sealed you and is currently encouraging you right now if you are a follower of Jesus. That through his word, he guides and corrects and leads us so that we might protect ourselves from ourselves. Through community, the church, the body of Christ, he provides accountability, love, and encouragement. And ultimately, what we're going to see here in just a moment, salvation. Because he lays down his life as the good shepherd to save his flock. Look at verses 14 through 18 of John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There's so many beautiful things there that Jesus is saying, but I want, I want you just to see this. Jesus says that as the Father loves him, and as he loves the Father, so is his love for us. Meaning, if you're ever questioning as a follower of Jesus, does, does Jesus actually love me? You need not ask yourself, how, how well am I performing? How good of a Christian am I? am I? Am I obedient? Am I not sitting? No, you need only ask, does the Father love Jesus? And does Jesus love the Father? And the answer to that question is a resounding yes. And because of that, Jesus knows his own and loves them as well. And that love drives Jesus to two things. The first one is he talks about a flock who is not amongst the flock of Israel, right? He's telling all of these Israelite leaders, hey, I've got Gentiles out there who are actually a part of my flock and I'm going to invite them in. And I don't know about you guys, but that gets me super excited because I'm one of those Gentiles, like during this period in time, my ancestors were like worshiping a guy with a big hammer who's now in Marvel movies, like Northern European worshiping bark. I don't know what they were doing, doing something, right? Israel was trying to worship the true God. My ancestors were way off the reservation. And as Jesus sat there and talked to them, he said, and he looked out in the future and said, Kevin Anderson is mine because I have sheep who are not of this flock currently. My love drives that. And then secondly, drives his mission, which he shares with them. And I want you to think about this. He says he's going to lay down his life. And he hasn't done this yet. He's telling them exactly how his crucifixion is going to come to pass. He says, I'm going to lay down my life. No one takes it from me. You're going to think that the Romans killed me. Nope. I lay down my life because I choose to. And I willingly lay down my life because I love my sheep. And that is what is going to save them 
from the wrath of the Father. And then he prophesies that he's going to take his life up again because he has the authority to do so. He's predicting his resurrection from the dead. Friends, Jesus loves his sheep and he saves his sheep because he is our good shepherd. And there is no news greater than that. And so I don't know where you are this morning as you come in here. Right, but maybe now would be a good time to just sit and respond. And we do that every week here at Aletheia Church, so we're going to give you an opportunity to do that privately. Or maybe now would be an appropriate time in light of what Jesus is sharing about himself in John chapter 10 to examine yourself and ask the question, what shepherd are you following and serving? Because one thing that I would submit to every single one of us in here this morning is all of us are serving and following someone or something. Even if we don't want to admit it. If you're a professing follower of Jesus, hopefully that someone is Jesus. If you're not, a common response I get back or something I would have said in my early 20s before I started following Jesus, but I'm not following any leader or any religion. I don't need that. And what I, what I should have said was, yeah, I'm following myself. I'm the center of the universe. I'm the one I'm looking to for safety and security. Maybe you're looking in a person, like for politics, or for many of us, a relationship. If I just find the right person to marry or the right group of friends, then life will get fixed. If you're like me, you over-relied on your own skills or your own job or your money. John chapter 9, there's not a robust statement of faith made by the blind man. He doesn't sign a lathy church's covenant. He doesn't have a catechism that he goes through. No, look at what happens. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? I love this. He answers and says, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? 
Jesus said that you have seen him, he has heard him, he has spoken to him, he has said, Lord, Protector and provider. It's the same question. 